Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello. Welcome back. Season five. Crazy. Season five, episode one. Welcome to season five. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm all right. I can't believe this is our fifth season. I can't either. Man, the first episode, when we were sitting in that little conference room, Adam and yourself and I, and it was such a debacle. And I feel like we've come a long way in many ways. Um, it's been a long, it doesn't feel like four years ago, over four years ago since that episode. Here, here's a good stat for you. And I just looked this up as we were chatting here. Um, we are in season five. We're 200 plus episodes in 50, over 56% of podcasts have fewer than 10 episodes. Only 17% get to 50 or more. Think about that. So yeah. we're worrying. We're in rarefied air now. Yeah, we're an old timer. Yeah. We're one of the OGs. Um, yeah, it's exciting. So, hey, if you're listening, thank you for listening. Um, we would love your feedback. Reach us at IntelliCastEMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research. You can also follow us at IntelliCast1 on Twitter. We have a LinkedIn page. You can follow us there. Um, you can leave us a voice on our text at 513-401-5463. You can also email Brian and I. Um, News episode today and yep. current events. Um, we've already done, we have a couple other episodes planned, so there should be some coming out your way pretty quickly here. Today we're going to be covering a lot of news that maybe we haven't covered over the past three weeks because it's been a while since we've done that. Mid-December, mid-December. So we're talking three, four weeks since you and I have sat down just to talk market research news. Yeah, so let's just get going. Do you want to cover current events first? Because there was an interesting one that was what, like late last week that yeah, you and I were texting about? Under the radar. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. So we say under the radar, but Ryan Smith of Qualtrics fame purchased another sports team last week. He and yeah. his uh, entertainment group were part of the part of the, I guess, the, the new owner group that purchased Real Salt Lake, which is the MLS team based out of there. So now he owns both major sports teams in Salt Lake City. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> not surprising move when you, um, I guess you could call him a billionaire, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you can. And, you know, to me, this is what I would do. This is probably a lot of our listeners dream. Uh, we talked about this on chat a little bit. But, you know, if you gave me seven billion dollars. I'm going to, I'm going to invest a little bit in some sports teams and be the owner because number one, that how much fun is that? You know, a lot of guys and girls probably grew up playing, you know, general manager and, you know, I would do this better. Well, now he can prove it number one. And also these sports teams only go up in value 
And I don't think that the Jazz are going to go down in value anytime soon. And I think Real Salt Lake, and I've, you know, I've started seeing some rumors about MLS TV contract just skyrocketing as MLS expands and is really growing and emerging as a, as a huge uh, sport in the U.S. As I think, you know, millennials and Gen Z have really taken in a lot of attraction to it. Um, so back to Ryan Smith, I mean, the Smith Entertainment Group, I mean, good. I mean, just awesome for him. He gets Ryan out of the forefront even more. Um, he's pretty, there's a lot of stories out him, about him and uh, the Utah Jazz. And, you know, they yeah. mentioned Qualtrics and that's great for our industry. I think the more that he's mentioned because he seems like an awesome dude and, you know, what he does for cancer research. So um, awesome. When I think Ryan Smith now, now that he has this second team, he almost seems to be a more, I see it as maybe a reserved, oh, and the name is Mark Cuban, a more reserved Mark Cuban. I, think. I can see yeah. him going to that route. Like, hey, I'm not going to be in the owner's box. I'm going to be courtside, jersey on, or like right on the yeah. sidelines, pacing that. He seems like he'd be that kind of owner. Yeah, I think so. He's, you know, he's young, he's energetic. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the kind of owner I would want of a sports team. Oh, and so definitely bringing an energy to, you know, a, you know, I think when people think of Utah, you don't think of like high energy and maybe he can kind of flip the script and bring a lot of high energy to, you know, be, yeah, but maybe be the Mark Cuban of that kind of area. Um, I saw that, you know, him and um, I think it's David Blitzer is the person's name. Yep. Um, they own the um, Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. And so, oh, so it's that it's that's the other group. Interesting. Yeah. So like, you know, he's, he, you know, I don't, he obviously isn't an owner of that, but you know, getting into your world a little bit with some hockey, maybe, Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what the closest hockey team for Ryan Smith is, but well, probably Phoenix. I don't even know that the, once they get out West, I Phoenix, I, maybe <laughs> Denver, maybe yeah. the Colorado avalanche. Yeah. So, you know, you never know with Ryan, I'm, I'm sure that he seems pretty loyal and loves Utah and so there's, there might be a minor league hockey team that he would buy. Can we throw this out there? So we say Phoenix and the Arizona Coyotes are always in financial trouble. I mean, again, and they don't have an arena to play in starting next year because Glenn oh. uh, Scottsdale kicked them out, essentially. Oh. Yeah. So they could be on the move. And that's I listen to a lot of hockey podcasts and that's speculation. What if yeah. Ryan Smith comes and says, hey, come to Salt Lake. We'll build you an arena. We're going to get this going. Because yeah. it's not like a big distance. It keeps them in the same division, and I'm not going to get deep into hockey talk here, but that could be super interesting. The other yeah. piece is you mentioned sports franchises continuing to go up. So I don't know if you saw that news uh, mid-December, but the Pittsburgh Penguins were sold. So okay. Mario Lemieux and the other guy he was who owned it with him are no, sold it, and – for $900 million. So okay. to the same group that owns Manchester United and the Red Sox. Okay. So the interesting part was that Mario Lemieux got ownership of that back because the Penguins owed him back salary from when he played. So they owed him like $38 million in back salary. He said, fine, convert it to ownership shares. He became a majority owner. And it's now hundreds of millions of dollars that's turned into now. Okay. 
since he took over, it turned around. They won a few Stanley Cups, all that. Yeah. But so when you're saying they're going up in price, yeah. So now that's kind of set the standard for an NHL franchise. Like, all right, you want to sell? It's almost a billion dollars now. So, yeah, a billion dollars used to be kind of the you know only the like the New York Yankees and a few teams. Recent now, it's like if you if you're in the club, you're worth a billion, yeah. right? Yep. And so. You know, the Knicks and the Yankees and, you know, the big names are just worth billions. And if you can get in it, I mean, this is opportunistic. I mean, he kind of, Ryan got involved with Real Salt Lake. I'm pretty sure only because the previous owner was forced out. So this was, uh, it was over some protests. They canceled a game and, and the owner basically came out and said, this is crazy that we're protesting a game. Um, that we're it's crazy that we're canceling a match um, over a protest, and there was so much backlash that he was basically forced to sell the team. And you know who who's the wealthiest guy in Utah? Hey, step up, Ryan Smith. Let's go yeah. do this. You want to do this? You already own the Jazz, and I, he does a lot of stuff with the Jazz. Don't they have part of his like charitable stuff? That's part yeah. of, like one of the logos on the Jazz uniforms now. Is it five for the fight or something? Like yeah, that? something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You know, we, we we all admire Ryan Smith and just another big move for him. Um, during the fifth year of this podcast, he's, you know, he's gone from, oh, he's a pretty cool guy that does a cool little conference out there in, um, in Utah to now being a big player in major sports. To living lots of our dreams or fantasies. Yeah. Owning I'm some of your favorites. Yeah, so am I. I would love to be yeah. able to do that. Probably never going to happen in my lifetime, but can always dream. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we should have, we, we probably could have had him on the podcast four years ago. I don't know I, about I, now. I, I, I say we try. I can, we'll try to reach out. I don't know what'll happen. We'll tag him in the post here. Hey, we talked about your real Salt Lake thing. You want to come on and talk? Well, we can probably get him to come on and talk about um, marketing research and yep, maybe yep. what he's doing to get feedback. You know, with he has a whole platform. He built a whole platform on getting you know, the customer experience. I'd love to hear who's kind of merging that world with ownership and professional sports team. That'd be fascinating for me and some of our listeners probably. Yeah. Well, at least for you and I, even if it's our worst listened to episode, you and yeah. I would still have a blast. Yeah. I put it on my resume. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to move to some market research news? Yes. All right. First up, Nielsen has launched a deduplicated ad measurement platform called Nielsen One Alpha. As its first stage in its initiative to develop a single cross-platform measurement solution called Nielsen One, which will launch this time next year. What do you think? Um, first of all, I mean, good job for Nielsen um, getting out there with this. Uh, but this is what I'd expect them to do, um, you know, especially after they had some backlash last year. But this is what we need as an industry. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. But, you know, a single measure, deduplicated, you know, that's you know, it's, it's got to be really challenging for marketers to understand cross-platform ads and effectiveness and things like that. And so I'm not sure how they're doing this, but this is obviously a step. And it looks like they have some, looks like Disney uh, joined some others to kind of back it. And so yeah. but this is going to happen. And so we'll, we'll hold them accountable. Well, I think they probably, they're getting that request from their clients because we all know COVID, COVID is involved in everything, but that's led to that huge push in stream. It increased the streaming and kind of your home 
like I'm going to watch movies and all your stuff at home. I mean, Netflix saw what an enormous growth in streams during COVID. This has yeah. pushed everything. Even now you've seen Disney say, yeah, we have a couple of those releases coming up in the next month. We're not going to do those in theaters anymore. We're just going to put them yeah. on our Disney plus platform. So yeah. trying to understand, Hey, are you watching it here? Are you watching it on, are you watching the TV show over on cable? Is it on, you watching it on Hulu? Are you accessing it through one of our channel sites or this or that? They want to know how many people are watching and this, you have to get to this. And not just, you know, watching it on, you know, like yesterday, for example, was the last day of the NFL games. And on my primary TV, I had uh, YouTube TV watching one game on my laptop. I was um, watching a different game. And then mm-hmm. on my phone, I'm browsing through Twitter and, you know, kind of doing my goofing off on my phone. I've got three platforms going, all of which yep. had, there was a point when my YouTube TV, you know, obviously we'd have different commercials, right? Even though they're customized for me. I don't yep. know why, um, but some of them on my primary TV through a Roku were different than the ones through my laptop. And, you know, I saw ads on my iPhone. And if you could figure out how to measure this, I mean, that's just gold. I mean, that's, I mean, good luck with that. If you can connect different devices and different viewing habits across all these platforms and um, right. try to understand it, that's a measure. That's amazing. Well, you're probably not the only one doing that kind of thing, particularly in sports. So yeah. you could have NFL going on. If you, you can have different hockey, basketball, baseball come summertime. I mean, even in my house, the kids were watching a kid's show on Paramount Plus on Sunday. I'm watching something else on my phone. Amanda's watching something else upstairs. That's three different things getting watched in one household. How do you determine that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Nielsen should be the ones kind of leading the charge. And so good for them. I'm glad they kind of released a, a press release about, you know, the alpha, just the first phase in this initiative. It's going to be a yep. year until they really start um, – launching the full the full um the full thing so i mean hopefully we can keep track of this and see how they progress i wonder if this is their step of hey i know we lost our tv accreditation but we're going to get something that doesn't even matter about that anymore because no one's just looking at just tv i want to show everything so this is how i'm going to get it back and get around that yeah absolutely and you know the device you watch it on is pretty much irrelevant you know like we used to think like I mean, people our age think of TV and I don't think the younger generation think like that. It's just a device. So, yeah, you say that I probably do most of my content viewing on my phone. And that is just because I have children who have taken over my televisions or other screens. So if I don't get it, I just watch it on my phone. (laughs) So there's that aspect of it, too. Like, oh main tv they're watching some kid show i don't want to watch that i'm gonna pop in a headphone pop in one earbud and i'm gonna watch something on my phone right right all right next up numerator who has been in the news quite a bit over the last six months or so has acquired the canadian-based mobile qual survey platform hatch tank yeah interesting i'm not sure i don't know a lot about hatch tank but um, it seems interesting, especially because, um, you know, Kantar owns the numerator. And so this will kind of expand um, certainly the, it, it complements what numerator and Kantar are trying to do. 
Um, and now it can be linked to verifying purchasing behaviors at scale. That's kind of interesting. Um, and expands numerators capabilities across quality and quant consumer research, including panel-based studies. So pretty interesting. I'm not sure how this will play out. Um, you know, we've been interested, we talked about when they had this acquisition, what would happen with numerator when Kantar took it. So it's nice to see it looks like numerator is still kind of being somewhat independent um, if they're making uh, an acquisition like this. Um, That's and what I was thinking that too. Numerator is, is the one making the acquisition, not Kantar. And so there's probably some sort of PR part of that where, you know, if Kantar buy, I mean, Kantar probably bought two companies today, right? It's right. just behemoth. But when Numerator buys it and it's specifically designed to complement what Numerator is doing, that's kind of news. Um, and the fact that, you know, like I said, that it's being launched by Numerator, not Kantar's interest. I think it is. I think that's the second big takeaway from that, that it says Numerator acquired, not Kantar, and is going to be combined with Numerator. This leads into that belief when I think when they said the acquisition was complete, that Numerator was still going to be a standalone business. Yeah. So it still has that autonomy to make those decisions and add to it. And it's, I think Kantar has gone and give them the blessing like, hey, you do what you need to do. You, we know what you do well. Keep doing it. You have our yeah. backing type thing. Absolutely. All right. And next up, it feels like we just talked about this on the last episode, was Scent has finalized its Lucid acquisition. And before you jump in on that, I'm going to say, man, that was quick. Because I looked and yeah. we talked about this like two months ago. Yeah. Well, you know, they said that they wanted to finalize it by end of year. We thought that was crazy because, you know, they're both global companies. And we know that getting that deal approved globally is really challenging, but man, they pulled it off. I mean, this was announced, um, I think it happened at the end of December. I think it, it did happen last year. Um, and so, I mean, they're moving forward really quickly. Um, it looks like $1 billion on cash in the debt-free basis, $476 million paid through shares and cent, and $554 million in cash. Man, that is a lot of cash. Um, so, it'll be, you know, I mean, we talked about Patrick Comer, what he's doing next. Um, we'll see, you know, we, if we had to make a prediction, you know, we got to, you kind of did the predictions blog this week. I think that Patrick Comer is on the list of things to watch as a prediction for 2022. You know, he probably has a, well, you can't go out and, com, you know, create a competing product for X amount of time, mm -hmm. but knowing him, he's going to at least be out there making a little bit of noise and having some opinion pieces and, you know, he, he's always out there. So that, that would be a prediction of mine, but yeah, good for, good to yeah. get this done. Well, you mentioned the predictions blog um, when you and I were going back and forth on that. I think we cut more than half of the ones we had listed just for sake of length. Yeah. So there were a lot on there we didn't fill out, but yeah, yeah I think it's more, I kind of see Patrick Comer doing that res tech investment. Yeah, he's not yeah. starting his own to compete, but I think you're going to see him be that investor and in others in that res tech industry and be that vocal champion for res tech. Absolutely. Um, that's what I would expect from him as well. Yeah. Turn his, uh, you know, maybe he'll buy a sports team. He's next in line to buy a sports team, right? The, you know, the, the former 
the Jazz used to be in New Orleans, and you know now we have yeah. the Pelicans and the Saints, and you know there's there's been some financial issues in New Orleans, so maybe he'll buy a sports team. I see him getting in with the Pelicans more than the Saints. I think the Saints are probably financially fine. So, <laughs> yeah. um, next up is the U.S. Census Bureau announced changes to its methodology to help reduce the impact of COVID-19 on the quality of its American Community Survey, or ACS, the five-year data ahead of its expected March 2022 release date. So they said that the methodology has been upgraded by comparing characteristics for responding and non-responding households using administrative third-party and decennial census data. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, first off, I was unaware that the Census Bureau did this. Were you aware of this? That there was American Community Survey five no. years ago? <laughs> what, no. What is, what is going on? Um, they, they were expected to release the data just like last month, um, but decided to delay its release to reduce the impact of non-response bias due to the COVID-19 pandemic and accompanying restrictions. You know, our regular U.S. census happened during the <laughs> during the pandemic and yeah. probably at a, a much more challenging time. And I didn't see any press release about that. That's kind of a, very interesting to me. Um, that's I think that's the main thing I want to mention out of the article. Um, you know, changing your methodology, sure, of course, you need to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. I would not expect our federal government to be on the forefront of innovation, of changing te- um, technology and methodology to do this. But perhaps I'm wrong. They, they can certainly throw a lot of money at it. They probably have an unlimited budget. So interesting story, to say the least. Yeah, I, that's why it's on here. It was interesting, one what is this American community survey they speak of? Cause that I'm kind of interested to kind of go deep into that and find out what are they asking? Is it just like an updated, like mini census? Is it some, uh, just like a U S government tracking study? What is this? Well, I'm glad they're doing something because I mean, if you're only doing those census every 10 years, I mean, that's a year to plan a year to do it, a year to do the data. And I'm like totally exaggerating all three of those things. You've got seven more years till the next census. So you have yeah. to be doing something, right? Well, you got to build your models for the plan for the upcoming year. And yeah. So. so, I mean, go America, go us census bureau. And um, hopefully they let us, you know, non non-federal, census takers um, into the secrets of how they're going to be adjusting their methodology for non-response bias, which, you know, that's certainly a challenge regardless of methodology, even with, you know, when you go door to door, that's what the census is basically going door to door. Um, right. That's the, probably the least amount of non-response bias um, to where, you know, online anonymity that's a high, pretty high non-response bias you would expect. And, you know, other methodologies would be the same. Yeah. Interesting though. That rounds out our market research news. Um, we have one last item to talk about. And this is an article that appeared in Inc. that you sent me 10 minutes before we are, we're going to start recording. So yeah. it is titled, Three <laughs> Ways Market Research Makes You Dumber and What to Do Instead. So do you want to go first or should I? 
But I'll go first because I know okay. I know what you're gonna say. We'll, well, that'll divert us. Um, so I found this out through um, through the Research Daily Business Report. Um, Bob had talked about it, and so I'm like, well, I gotta find this article and read it. I mean, the headline: Three Ways Market Research Makes You Dumber What to Do Instead. That's attention grabbing. So I'll let you describe the article. Um, and then maybe I'll just build onto that. So that's the background. What, what do you think of the article, Brian? Well, so I spent a few minutes reading it. It's not a long article, but right off the bat, that title is 100% clickbait. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Five ways to make yourself richer. Yeah, I'm going to click on this. It fits right into that category. Yeah. The problem is when you read through it after the first paragraph, the rest of it has nothing to do with the headline. Right. <laughs> he gets through the story of how he managed a market research budget and with a tech company and did all this. But as he's going through it, it talked about like, hey, they weren't doing research for what you should be doing research for, but he's blaming it on market research and not on his own organization who used it to prove path to just solidify decisions or political infighting and all that. Like, how is that the research firm's fault? You're the one paying them. They say, this is what we want to research. Yeah. Okay. He basically spent about nine paragraphs talking about the dysfunction of people in his company. I'm not sure how, yeah, I'm not sure how it's market research's fault that you worked in a dysfunctional organization with a lot of egos at the top. (laughs) Yeah. So then my, and I don't want to pile on this guy too much, um, mm. but his first paragraph in the article was intriguing to me. He said, most companies waste hundreds of thousands of dollars on man hours on unnecessary or ill-conceived market research. So most companies waste hundreds of thousands of dollars. You look, you click on that, and it's another article that he wrote, how to tell if market research is BS. Most market research is so biased that it's worse than useless. Here's how to keep from being fooled. It's even more kind of clickbait where he kind of goes through the same kind of thing as this article. This is kind of like the thing that this guy's doing. I'm I'm not sure how Inc. is even allowed to put this out there. Well, you want to know how they can put that out there? So if you get to the very end and then and type font that is like five points lower than the rest of it says the opinions expressed here by inc.com columnists are their own and not those of inc.com kind of like the disclaimers you get for different tv shows and stuff the opinions of our guests are their own and not do not reflect the views and opinions of xyz tv station yeah but whenever i had the headline i was like well i'm gonna obviously try to refute this and i'm gonna i'm gonna write ink and i'm gonna write a a retort to it and say how you know market research does not make you dumber and market research is not bs and that it is not biased but then i started reading i'm like well this is crazy that's kind of what they want you to do right they well, want they, people to like attack it and get right. attention. They, right. Exactly. The point of the clickbait. Because when you get down yeah. to the end, it goes into why he thinks you make market research makes your company dumber. Right. Well, it's for reasons you shouldn't be doing research for. <laughs> right. Confirming a decision you've already made. That yeah. sounds kind of dumb. Use the data as ammunition for a turf war or political infighting. Again, <laughs> not really the point of market research. You want to pe- spend the money. No one's going to say, no, I'm not going to do that research and take that check. And three, 
You're unwilling to make potential painful decisions in your organization, which proves you're a dysfunctional organization. You're not really ready to research. Again, not sure how it's a market researcher industry's fault. And then the very last paragraph disproves the entire rest of the article. I feel like I should read it. <laughs> you know, the, the three ways that market research makes you makes your company dumber. He should have just added a bunch of other stuff that were also irrelevant. Like right. if you just take the research and burn it in a fire, that would be, <laughs> if, if you let your three-year-old son design the research, like he could if just you throw darts at a dartboard to pick your topics. Right. I, so. Those, those options are just as relevant as what he wrote. But the last part of, if you approach market research with objectivity and, and you wanted to, help you understand what is going on so you can take advantage of it. Yeah, it's great. Which I paraphrase there. I didn't read it directly, but paraphrasing. Like, isn't that the whole point of market research? The other pieces talk more about your organization than it does a market research firm. Yeah. And yeah. again, market research firms aren't in here for the charity of it. We are businesses. So if someone wants to do terrible research to do one of these other things that makes what he says makes your company dumber. No one's not going to take that check. If you um, if you read, if you look up other either articles that he's written, I looked. Did you see job recruiting is getting more like Tinder? Um, <laughs> I um, scrolled down about ten scrolls, and I would say nine out of every ten is a clickbait title. Yeah, I mean he's got the clickbait title writing spot on. Yes, yeah, seven epic brand disasters of twenty twenty one. Um, positive thinking is toxic unless you do this one thing. Like he's really good at that. <laughs> Jeff Bezos publicly gave only $500,000 to charity. Shame on him. Three time honored sales tactics that no longer work. <laughs> How, How to, to get, get remote workers <laughs> to, to work, come back to the office. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, good for him for having good click. I, I mean, great title writing if you really want it. Because his goal, and let's be honest. They're an online ink on for the online version. What drives them is website traffic because that gets their ads paid more people seeing their ads, which means they can charge more for their ads. That's their business model. So yeah, nope. if I was writing an ink article and my goal was to get as many people to it as much, I'd write that thing so clickbaity it wouldn't even matter. 31,000 Twitter followers. You know what we should do, Brian? Just put it out on. there and just have them inundated? No, we should have him on the podcast. I don't want to. Okay. Well, if you have any feedback, let us know. About, or, or you want his Twitter handle, let us know. He hasn't tweeted since uh, um, April. Um, probably doesn't. It's probably someone else who manages it. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you for letting us do this lengthy rant uh, about uh, really an irrelevant article. Um, talk to you soon. We should have a couple of great episodes coming your way soon and excited for season five. Let us know if you'd like to come on, any topics or anything else. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>